3: Welcome to the program. It's Friday, the last day of the week, which means we survived another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, got a lot going on. It's a busy weekend coming up. Tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, out of um, Colossians chapter 2. Verses, only three verses, eight, nine, and ten. And really, I'm going to focus most of it on just one verse, verse eight. Uh, and let me just kind of share in advance with you this is not a Bible study that people are really happy to hear. We got to make some decisions about where we get our information and who do we really believe. And uh, that always causes some people to get a little bit frustrated with me, but yeah, it's nothing new in what I do. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com, uh, on the Watch our live stream. It's always better if you get here in person. We close the evening in prayer, and you can be one of those who gets the opportunity to pray with other believers. Uh, Sunday, I'm going to be teaching in the book of Acts. I'm going to be finishing chapter 26. Uh, We're just a couple of chapters after tonight from ending our study in the book of Acts, and then we're going to get ready to go to 1 John on Sundays and next time. So have a great weekend. Get to church, wherever it is that you go. uh, Find somebody that you can be a blessing to. Serve. Um, Don't just go to church, like being a spectator is sort of the end-all, be-all. Go be the church. Go to your pastor and say, what do you want me to do? And be available, the Lord will use you, I promise you. Okay, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls today. Uh, this one is from, let me see, Ashley. She says, I'm Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts about marriage conferences through Calvary Chapel? My church is pushing for us to attend marriage conferences, but I'm not sure. My husband wants to go, but I don't think it's beneficial. Our marriage needs work, but I just think we need always to be with Jesus. Does your church host marriage conferences? Thank you. Um, Ashley, a couple of things. Um, one, if your husband wants you to go, go. 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 If it's a Calvary chapel, they're gonna be teaching the word. I know all of the other pastors, they're great guys, and if they if your husband wants to go, do you know how many wives come into my office begging, begging the Lord to to do something so that their husband would want to work on the marriage, so their husband would want to go. So go. And sort of leave the attitude behind. Um, Marriage conferences are going to open the Word of God and it's going to be good. So generally speaking, I'm not a big conference guy. I'm not a, 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 a church that believes that these big events are really going to solve a lot of problems. But it's always good, especially when a husband and wife are going together and their hearts are open to hear what the Spirit would say to them. So if he wants to go, I beg you, just go. Set aside any pride or whatever the issue is. And and you know, I'm, I'm the, the first one to say, just be with Jesus. And that's what we all need. But when you can say in this little email, our marriage needs work, but... What you ought to do is say, our marriage needs work, so I'm going to go. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to submit to the spiritual headship of my husband, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. That's what it means to be with Jesus. Now, you asked "Does our church host marriage conferences. We have. Uh, I, I think in all of our years, we've only done it once um, or, or twice. I think we've done it twice here. And uh, we have uh, hosted them. Uh, I had friends that I knew really, really well. I knew their marriages were in good shape. Um, but, you know, our, our calendar gets so full that we really don't have time, and it really is easy. If your church it has a lot going on, it can really become easy to be sort of event-weary, and and we don't want to do that. We want to, our, our church to be a place where people know what's going to happen. Now, on the other hand, Paula and I have done marriage conferences for many, many years. Uh, we're going to be doing one, I think, in the in the Rio Grande Valley, McAllen, I think, um, uh, in the spring, sometime I don't really know what the date is yet. But, but Paula and I have traveled literally all over the country. In fact, all over the world to to do this. Um, and people ask. I guess when you're old and you've been married a long time, um, I, I always credit Paula with that. Her light is so bright that people want to hear her. So we have traveled a lot to do marriage conferences. And the marriage conference that we host, uh, and when I say host, I mean we're the speakers. Um, it's different than most of the marriage conferences that, that I've seen uh, or, or been to. Uh, I'm, I'm super direct. Paul and I, we have a and a uh, We want to deal with real issues, real problems. And I am super direct. So it's not a goosebump uh, experience. It is an encounter with the Spirit of God. So, Ashley, that's why I can tell you, if your husband wants to go, by all means, Go. You'll be blessed. Here is a question. This one is from Don. Um, Could you please clarify what or to whom is Peter referring to in 1 Peter 4, 6, when he says, for this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead? Is he referring to people who are spiritually dead? Don, um, this is a good one. Um, 1 Peter 4, 6 is misunderstood. Now, I want to be clear. Uh, some people read this. Jesus went into the lower part of the earth and he preached the gospel uh, to those who are being held captive. And that's true. But he didn't preach the gospel to those who were in the torment section of of uh, what we would call hell in, in the abyss. Um, he was preaching the gospel to the to those who are going to be set free. They were in paradise, but he was going to uh, proclaim, Jesus proclaimed to them uh, that Freedom Day has arrived and they would now be free. So uh, that's what not what Peter's talking about in chapter uh, 4, verse 6. Let me read the passage, and then I'll give you um, uh, an explanation. It says, For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now, I like this verse because it means very straightforwardly that the gospel was preached to everyone the people that are dead, um, the the evil dead, the righteous dead, um, those who are still alive, everyone has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why Paul could say that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. They've all heard it. They've all made their choice. And the reason is so that they might be judged or convicted for those who are alive by the Holy Spirit, for the life they lived in the body, for the sole purpose that they could be born again, And that from this point forward in their lives, they might live according to the Spirit. Um, Sometimes conviction, we avoid it, but it should be obvious to all of us that it's better to be convicted for sin while we're still alive than to be judged for sin when we die. And that's what Peter's point is, and he tied that into the next verse. That's how serious this is. He says, The end of all things is near. Peter Paul, all of the others, they truly expected to see Jesus return in their lifetime. And the reason that they really, truly needed uh, to, to be serious about that, that the gospel being preached to all people is because they really believed that the end was near. So that's the answer, Don. Thank you very, very much for that. Three four Let's go to Alan on line one from San Antonio. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. How, how are you? God bless you.
3: Alan, thank you. I'm doing well. How about you?
2: Oh, as well as can be just, um, in survival mode here as usual with, uh, some people are in living mode. Others are in survival mode and I'm always in survival mode due to my health. <laughs> but, uh, it's just a blessing to know Jesus and, uh, to have the joy of Jesus in, in our hearts. So
3: yeah. that's great. Thank you, Ellen.
2: I had, had a question. Of, I'm going to try to teach the Gospel of John uh, to, to my sister on online. or on, on, And uh, is there a question and answer format that I might be able to find? Because um, I can... Uh, where they would have the Bible study questions. Uh, do you know any websites or anything like that? Because I wanna, if I teach it, it's, uh, it's abstract like that. It's kind of good to have a structure to teach it with. And uh, I was wondering if there's any websites that you might know of that might have the quest the questions that are made for a person. I know it's kind of, um, I don't, yeah, that's really my question to see yeah. if there's any.
3: Alan, I, I, I'm sure there are. Now, please hear my heart when I answer the question. Uh, if, if you would Google um, Bible study questions on the Gospel of John, I'm sure you would get some that would come up and you could you could discern whether or not they're from Orthodox churches or not. Now, having said that, um, I, I hope to discourage you a little bit from doing it that way. Uh, I think the best Bible study is giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity first to lead the one who's doing the teaching and then to minister to the one who is doing the hearing. And uh, I've always said the the best way to study your Bibles is to study it like you are going to teach that that chapter or that passage uh, the very next day. Just study it with all of your heart. Lord, what do you want to say to me? And then what do you want me to say to the people that I'm teaching? And that's when it really gets rich. Now, let me give you a couple of ideas. One of the the, the primary purpose of the Gospel of John is to present Jesus in his deity. He is the great I am. All of the I am statements, the emphasis on miracles in the Gospel of John, Completely different than the synoptic gospels. So, as you present it to your sister, what you want to do is focus on the passages of scripture that demonstrate that He is. I'm sorry, I literally coughed. That He is uh, God in human flesh. And again, the emphasis on miracles is the validation for that deity. But over and over and over, Jesus makes these I am statements. And John wants us to know at the end of the book, he says he did so many miracles. If they were all written down, there wouldn't be enough volumes or enough books in all the world to to contain them. And that was John's purpose to demonstrate that Jesus Christ was God. And so as you're teaching it, and again, I want to emphasize the very best way to do that is to let the Lord speak to your heart and then just go through it. Don't try to take such big chunks that you, you kind of lose your, your way. Um, find a passage of Scripture. Uh, it has a theme. It has a direction. Um, emphasize the action in the passage I try to encourage the people to be to put themselves in the middle of Jesus's ministry sort of to be with him uh, like the disciples were with him and then just be big observers of things observe all of the people that are around and uh, put yourself in the in the the the, the narrative um, and just see what you observe and let the Holy Spirit lead. And too often, I think if we go in with a preconceived idea, you're going to miss those little nuggets that the Lord wants to share first with you and then through you to somebody else. But yeah, again, I'm sure there are are plenty of of things. I, I don't know firsthand who they might be or what they are. Uh, Because I never, ever would study the Bible like that myself, Alan. God bless you, dear friend. Thank you for looking up when you're going through the stuff that I know you've been going through. Uh, You've been calling for a long time, and um, we get to see you occasionally. We know the struggles, and yet you're always looking up at the Lord. And that is a great witness, Alan. Thanks very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from... Michael M. Um, Hi, Pastor Ron. I heard your answer to a similar question early this week, but I was hoping you could elaborate more on forgiveness for our sin. I think the question was about how our future sins are forgiven. I liked your answer. My question today is, when you said Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future, I believe that's true, but I can't find the verse that says that specifically. Do you know where I can find the scripture, or is it said in a different way? Thank you for this show. Michael, this show is such a blessing for me. Uh, I'm, I'm unbelievably blessed that people actually take time out of their day to tune in. So uh, thank you for um, being interested. Let me just give you one verse, and you can kind of follow the references in your Bible. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son, and here's the key, purifies us from all sin, not just past sins or present sins, but purifies us from all sins. Now, doctrinally, I think the idea is we are positionally perfect. When Jesus comes into our heart, the Holy Spirit um, takes up residence. Uh, Ephesians 1 says he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, and God is the one who makes a deposit. Uh, when he comes in, um, we know that we're his because positionally, We are perfect. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness, or I like to use the word perfection, the perfection of God. That happens in an instant. Now, another doctrinal term is sanctification. We work out that process. We know that we continue to sin. 1 John also is in large part about that. Uh, And he is faithful to forgive us and purify us from all sin. But that's to establish fellowship with him. If we live in sin, if we're unrepentant, then fellowship with God is broken. But because we are positionally perfect, and this is something that's really difficult, uh, Michael, for us to to understand, Um, Jesus sees us. Uh, the Father sees us, I like to say, through the Jesus filter, and he looks at us and says, "Oh." beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. And of course, that's from the Song of Songs. So 1 John 1, 7, and you can follow that through, but that is a theme that runs through uh, the Scriptures. You can read the first six chapters of Romans um, um, and you can, you can see the building block process. Then we get to chapter 7, where we struggle with our flesh and we don't do what we want to do. Um, but, but then we see in Romans chapter 8, the freedom of life in the Spirit. So all of our sins, sins that we know we're guilty of, the sins that we are involved with currently, 1 John 1, 9 promises us that they can be wiped away and fellowship restored. But we also have the security of knowing that if we sin tomorrow, God's not going to get angry with me and say, that's the last straw. I'm going to take away my free gift of eternal life. He can't do that because he sees us positionally perfect. If you understand that, that will protect you from legalism or the people that sort of have a view of God, like, well, if I don't do things perfect, he's mad at me. No, God loves you. He's crazy about you. And all he wants is the very, very best for you. So thank you very, very much for that. I appreciate it. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, it is really good to hear from you. Thanks for calling.
4: Hi, how are you doing, sir? I'm
3: doing well, Jimmy. How about you?
4: Good, I just woke up.
3: Yeah. It sounds like it.
4: No, I, yeah, I work nights from ten to six. So but um Yeah, um I was going okay, I was um I, I was attending this well, I was just visiting, but I was attending this prayer meeting, right? And uh and I noticed that the some of the men there were um, using profanity and um, oh, wow. the, the F word, right? And I know, and I, 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 So I, um, some scripture says, "Somebody sins against you, talk to them in private, right?" And I like, um, I said, "Look, I like you guys. You know, you guys are good guys. I know you are." Um, you know, you're you're trying to be with Christ and all this, but we need to refrain from profanity. We can't be using uh, profanity in this prayer meeting. And um, I, I guess they didn't like that. But, and, uh, and the leader says, well, you need to come. And I said, you need to come to us. And no, I don't feel like coming tonight. So, uh, you know, I just want to stay home. I'm going through something right now. You know, I was just... You know, Christian was going through something our son, so I was just going, you know, want to be alone. But I told him, y'all, I need to refrain from profanity. You can't be uh, using the F word. I said, I used to be there. Okay, I used to be there, and, you know, and, and there was times I slipped, but the Holy Spirit always convicted me of when I said it, so I asked God to forgive me. So I can't even say that word anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't. I can't. I I mean, I, it just... To me, it's disgusting. I can't. I can't say it. It just is. To me, it's um. I, it doesn't even come. It can't even come across my mind anymore. So I guess because they're still young and in the Lord, but,
3: Jimmy. Uh, that's fine. that's no excuse. You know, um, the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and new is come. One of the things that we can do to make sure Jesus is excluded from our prayer meeting, and as you were sharing the, 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 the incident, uh, I was just shaking my head. Uh, it is uh, offensive. Uh, it is certainly, as I said, a way to exclude Jesus from the prayer meeting, to ensure that not only would your prayers not be heard, but they could never be answered. And uh, the idea among men that this is cool and the words don't really matter, or, or well, we're just men and this is the way men talk, is so offensive uh, to approach God. I think we forget that when we are able and privileged to talk to the Lord, we have a, a Saturday morning corporate prayer here at Calvary Chapel. Oh, by the way, anybody in the audience who wants to come, you're more than welcome to come. It's from 9.30 to 10.30 every Saturday. Uh, Paula and I are always there unless we're out of town, which doesn't happen often. Um, um, you know, we we understand the privilege Of approaching the Lord. We understand that we're on holy ground. I I always think of Moses when Jesus approached the the bush that was on fire but not being consumed, and and the voice of the Lord spoke to him and said, take off thy sandals for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And when we go into the presence of the Lord, we're on holy ground. And that kind of an attitude, Jimmy, in a prayer meeting, demonstrates two things. There's no concern whatsoever for personal holiness. And secondly, it demonstrates that, that we don't know anything about God, nor his character, and have lost all fear of God and uh I, I wouldn't have i wouldn't have lasted in that prayer meeting thirty seconds the first time I heard somebody uh being disrespectful, somebody being ugly, you know the Bible talks about there should be no coarse language, our speech should be seasoned uh with uh with salt and grace um but but to have that kind of language is inexcusable, and it demonstrates a heart. Jesus said. That when we say these profane things, that language comes from our heart. That means it's in us, and he wants to cleanse the heart. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or crude joking. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Excludes coarse language all over again. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we stand and fight. We just think, my response would be, what are you guys doing? What are you thinking? Have you no fear of God? And then I would just excuse myself, and I would find a place to pray. But one of the things that we have lost sight of is the honor and privilege it is to be invited into the presence of the Lord. Uh, I'll just give you an example, Jimmy, at our prayer corporate prayer tomorrow morning. Um, a whole bunch of the people will pray and they will begin their time of prayer uh, saying something like this. They'll say, um, Lord, I, I just can't believe the joy and the privilege it is to be able to come before you, that you're eager to hear our prayers, that you are more interested than we are in being here. Jimmy, that's what prayer needs to be. Hey, the first half of the program is over. I didn't see that. 340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions are toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Manuel. Um, Manuel says... Do we have to, oh no, why do we have to fight the flesh when the flesh is already dead because of the cross? Um, Manuel, um, we are dead to sins. Um, Our flesh is dead. Um, The the cross triumphed over uh, our flesh and the world and anything in this world that, that would tempt us to sin. However, here's the problem we have. Uh, flesh it wants to be raised in the dead. You know, it's like Jesus saying to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Well, the enemy, the world, and by the way, our evil desires are, are saying all the time to our flesh, flesh, come forth. We like to give in to our flesh. It's built into us. That's a sin nature that we have. Um, I, I think, Manuel, the, the very best illustration of this in our New Testament is the Apostle Paul's own uh, biography uh, in in Romans chapter 7, when he says, you know, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And then he says this, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers it in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So the battle is going to go on. Uh, John, in verse John says, uh, "If we say we're without sin, then we're a liar, and the truth isn't in us so we've got to be realistic about our sin because when we sin, when flesh takes over, our fellowship with God is broken, not our salvation. that's to miss the point altogether, but our fellowship with God is broken, and then we're on our own, and that's when we're completely vulnerable to the enemy and to the lies of this world." Uh, And and it's because our flesh wants to be awake. I have a friend, um, Damien Kyle. He's a pastor in Modesto, California. Um, Wonderful teacher. He's funny. He He doesn't know he's funny. He doesn't try to be funny. And that's why he's funny. But we were at a pastor's conference one time and he started. He said, you know, I have to start every day by getting up and struggling over to my bathroom mirror and getting really close. And then I shout, no! He's telling his flesh, no, you're not going to win today. I've seen a t shirt or a not today, Satan. Um, you know, uh, our flesh is always, always tempted to do what we don't want to do. So we have to fight every day. Now, Manuel, for me personally, I do this uh, the same way every morning. I, I don't do it, it's not like a routine that doesn't mean anything. But it's sort of like a kickstart. You know, you got a motorcycle, you go out and kickstart it. Well, well my kickstart is saying, um, Father, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit, in your name and for your glory. And then I go through something, me and Paula, um, she's not there most of the time, but but we do that. Um, I, I just say, look, I'm going to mess up if, if you don't hold me tight. So our flesh always wants to dominate. Our flesh never gives up. Uh, we can be 80 years old and walk with the Lord for 50 years. And it doesn't matter. Our flesh still is there. And we have to fight it. It is a constant enemy. And uh, what we've got to do is realize that we have been given absolute and total victory over our flesh. Uh, all we have to do is be willing to fight when the time comes. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Jeff. He said, Christians, it seems to me, should not get depressed. How can I deal with those times when I do get very depressed? Well, Jeff, God bless you for for talking about yourself and not other people. Um, You know, theoretically, Christians should never be depressed. But the reality is our flesh is weak. The enemy is pounding us. And life can sometimes be really, really difficult. So um, we've got to deal realistically with it and, and being discouraged or depressed. Even the Apostle Paul was depressed. He said there were days when he was despairing even of life, meaning that there were days he would get up and the circumstances would be so horrible that it would appear to anybody looking like he would be dead at the end of the day rather than alive. He was depressed because his heart would be broken because of the reaction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I, Jeff, we get depressed, and what we got to do is fight. Now, I say this quite frequently uh, here at church, but I think depression, discouragement first, um, sort of morphing into depression, is is, uh, perhaps the enemy's greatest weapon against us. And he causes us to try to focus on all the things that we're discouraged about, and pretty soon we get really, really depressed. I also tell our people here at Calvary that that uh, the more you think about you or your circumstances, the more depressing it's going to be. So that's why we have to put our minds on things above and our hearts. The heart's the place of affection. The mind is the place of decision. We've got to focus on Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 8 and 9 tells us a process to go through uh, whatever is True, whatever is beautiful, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, think on these things. And then that's how we combat depression. There has to be sort of a, an exchange of thought process. Uh, and we do that by not focusing so much on the things that, that are causing our depression, but instead we focus on the one who has the answer to our depression. And then we run to get into his presence now it's not something that's simple. I can tell you this Jeff that when people are depressed and you're dealing with times when you get very depressed your words um, the the last thing you want to do is fight but it's the time that you need to fight the hardest because the enemy has you in his crosshairs and he wants to pound and he wants to pound and he wants to pound and, he wants to pound and that's what's going to happen unless you fight. And that means we need to talk to the Lord. It means we need to get in the Word. Again, I'm not being naive here. I realize that when we're depressed, it is the last thing that we want to do. But we need to be aware that it is the thing that we need to do the most. And if we understand that we really are in a fight for our spiritual lives, for the opportunity to produce any fruit for the kingdom of God, The only answer then is to just get used to the fact that we're going to be fighting. It is a battle that has to be won. And um, the only way to do it is to, to, to resolve that I'm just not going to give in to whatever it is that's causing me the depression. I'm going to focus on the Lord. He has the answers that we don't have. Now, it's easy to say, well, I suffer from depression, but the answer for the Christian is, well, what is your response to that depression? Paula, bless her heart, when she deals with some of the women who are dealing with depression, um, she'll she'll tell them, look, I'm going to get off the phone. I want you to get out of bed. I want you to go take a shower, and then I want you to call me again. And they'll do that, but the idea is get out of bed. Don't be a stationary target for the enemy because that's exactly what he's going to do. We need to be men and women who fight, who really and truly fight with all of our strength in battles like this. You're right in theory, Christians should not be depressed, but the reality is we're weak. Our flesh is weak and we get depressed. One more thing, before you go to a doctor and say I'm depressed, because immediately that doctor is going to prescribe you medication, before you do that, go to war, fight, and let the Lord fight with you and for you. He's always the first stop. Three four zero ninety five eighty five Oscar asks a good question. He said, "Why did Jesus have to be filled with the Spirit when He was God?" Oscar, Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five, gives us the answer to that. Jesus emptied Himself. He considered equality with God not to be held on to. Now, that's a very vivid word picture. Jesus was equal with God. He was God, and and, and of course, we would all hold on to that for dear life. Jesus, for you, Oscar, and for me, He let it go. And that means he encountered every single thing in this world while he was walking um, in his three years of ministry. Every single thing. And before, by the way, um, because he was without sin even as a child. Um, But when he was walking, he did it as a man, as a human. And that teaches us that just as he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit, we can depend on the power of the Holy Spirit and will be led into those places that God has designed for us. Now, a couple of things, Oscar, as you know, when Jesus was baptized, he didn't need to be baptized for repentance. That's what John's baptism was, because he wasn't a sinner. But he was baptized to identify with sinful man. And when he was in the water and came out, the Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove. That doesn't mean he didn't have the Spirit before that. It just means that this was that moment when the Spirit was saying, okay, this is when your ministry begins. You know what I find fascinating, Oscar, about that first experience was that the Spirit came upon him and he was given the Spirit without measure. You and I, the Spirit was given to us with measure because we have a sin nature. But the very first thing the Spirit let Jesus to do was go out into the wilderness for 40 days after, after not having eaten or, or had any water. And he would be face to face with the devil. We think, well, if I walk with the Spirit, bad stuff like that won't happen. Well, that was the first thing that happened to Jesus. And sometimes, in fact, often when we're filled with the Spirit and we're walking in the power of the Spirit, we're going to be led into those difficult circumstances. Jesus was God. He was without sin. But he had to walk every single day, depending completely on his Father in heaven. Good question, Oscar. Thank you very, very much. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, is it even possible to be 100% certain of Christianity or the Bible? Well, anonymous, I can tell you it is, it is uh, uh, more than possible. I am 100% certain of both. I'm 100% certain that Christianity is true. It is the only thing that's true. And any other religious um, uh, order that, that contradicts what we know in our Bible to be true is false. And I'm 100% certain of that. I'm also 100% certain that the Bible is the very Word of God. It is inerrant. It's without error. It is infallible. It doesn't contradict itself. uh, 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years, completely internally consistent. I know it's the Word of God. Now, let me also say this to you Anonymous. I didn't become certain of your first question, that Christianity is true, until after I wrestled with whether or not the Bible was true, whether it was the the Word of God. I didn't know for sure. I, I never opened a Bible before I got saved. I had all kinds of questions, and every time I'd ask a question, the answer would come from a Christian, well, the Bible says. It didn't make sense to me how the Bible could be written by men and written by God. So I realized that if I'm going to base everything that I believe on this book, I better find out if it's true. And once I made that my life's mission, now it, it, it took me, I've shared this story many times on this show, uh, it took me less than three months. But I mean it was three months of intensive investigation. I read everything I get my hand on. I wanted to know if I could depend on this Bible. And after uh, just 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 less than three months of really digging, in, I had this this wonderful intimate experience with the Lord. I was in a, a a big room all by myself at a library, a theological library in Claremont, California. Books spread all over the place, and it just hit me. I know this is true. And anonymous, it was as though. Jesus was sitting in that room physically. It's sort of like he had his legs crossed. He was just waiting for me to come to this revelation. And and, uh, it was as though he looked at me and said, are you convinced yet? And at that moment, I was 100% convinced that the Bible was true. I've never had a moment's doubt. And since that moment, I've also never had, and this was very early in my Christian walk. Since that moment, I've never had a moment's doubt about my eternal security or about the truth, the exclusive nature of the truth of Christianity. So yes, it is possible. The Apostle John, in, at the end of his gospel, he says, I wrote these things that you may know, not hope, but know, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I always add, who is also God the Son. So Anonymous, it is possible, and it's something that you need to find out for yourself. Um, You know, you can uh, hear somebody like me say it's true, uh, but until you are personally convinced, my convictions won't have much value for you. So make that the focus of your life. The Lord will show off for you. I promise you that. You know, I always say that I envy Paula. Um, Her faith is very simple. She said, well, I opened the Bible. Somebody said it was God's word. I started reading it. I just believed it. Well, I wasn't that spiritual. I had a, I was a cynic. I needed to know. And God proved it to me. And anonymous, he'll prove it to you if you just Give him the opportunity. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let him reward you in the process. Good question. Marty says, is God judging the world today or is he waiting until Jesus returns? Well, Marty, I I think your question is sort of, um, I mean, he is judging the world today, but, but not in his wrath. That's going to happen when Jesus returns. Revelation chapter 19, he's going to return to the earth. We're going to be with him. And he's going to destroy his enemies with a word, just a word. And when he does that, um, his enemies will be destroyed and he will establish his kingdom for a thousand years on this earth. Is he judging the world today? I think, especially if you read the Old Testament prophets, we're in the book of Amos on uh, Wednesday night's, and and it's hard because it's judgment, and and most of it deals with judging mm-hmm. his people, the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah, and God is simply telling them that that if these things don't change, uh, this is what your future is going to look like, and as he uh, is is wasn't yet judging them. He was constantly warning of judgment. He would say things like, you know, there's famine and and earthquakes. And, um, you know, you you work hard, but you never have enough money. You're hungry, but there's never enough to eat. Nothing ever satisfies. Um, He says, all of those things are from me. And Marty, I am convinced that that is exactly what God is doing right now. We look around, and I'll just localize this. Now, remember, the United States of America is not the center of Bible prophecy at all. Now, obviously, we live here, so we're interested. But look at the world that we live in. Look at our leaders. That's a judgment from God. It's a, it's a warning and a judgment from the Lord. We have leaders who don't know what they're doing, leaders who are completely opposed to God. And, and God says, well, when I give you those kind of leaders, that's because you deserve those kind of leaders. When things are just natural disaster after natural disaster, the earth is groaning. God says, that's me behind it all. I'm trying to get your attention. Again, this isn't the judgment of God, but it's signs of the impending judgment to come. And we would be wise to pay attention to the signs all around us. Jesus said that to to the, his followers and those who were listening, including the religious leaders who were his enemies. He said you can discern the the, the times and the seasons of the world around you all we have to know is it's cold every winter, it's hot every summer, and, and the, the months in between, we have different uh, climates. But but now, look around you, the world that we live in. God is telling us there's signs. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, says, In the last days there will be perilous times, dangerous times. And then he describes what seems very much like the time that we live in. And God is not judging us yet, but he's warning us, trying to get our attention that judgment is coming and it won't be escaped. And I think that's what's happening all over the world. The world that we live in, Marty, is a mess. And until we look up, until we repent, I don't think things are going to get better. I think they're going to get worse. Now that I've made everybody's day, Let's go to Amy. Uh, Who are the elect Jesus is speaking of in Matthew chapter 24? Um, Whenever Jesus is speaking about the elect, um, uh, Amy, he's talking about the nation of Israel, not individual Jews. Individual Jews need to have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. He's talking about the nation of Israel. So here's what he's saying. Israel, nationally, they're my chosen people the apple of my eye, they're the ones I love, they're the ones I made these wonderful promises and covenants with, um, and and that's the elect. The elect isn't you, nor me, we are chosen by God, our New Testament says, but remember Jesus' ministry was, uh, while he was here on earth, was, was exclusively Jewish, and in Matthew chapter 24, of course, that's the Olivet Discourse, along with Luke 21 and uh, Mark chapter 13 also part of Matthew chapter 25, Um, um, he's talking about Israel and Israel's future. And so the elect he's speaking of is national Israel. And what he's hoping, of course, is that the individual Jews who are Israelis uh, would, would repent, turn back to God. And of course, we know instead they killed him. So that's who the elect is. Amy, thank you for the question. This will be my last one of the day. It's from Abby. She says, what should I be looking for in a church to make my church home? Um, Abby, first and foremost, a, a church that is committed to the teaching, not just the preaching. There's nothing wrong with preaching, but the teaching and the preaching of God's word. I'm not talking about topical Bible studies. I'm not talking about throwing in an occasional Bible verse or starting with the Bible verse and then formulating a sermon around that. I'm talking about teaching the Word of God. Paul, when he was with the Ephesian elders and saying goodbye to them, um, he said, and I'll paraphrase, your blood is not on my head for I have not failed to declare unto you the whole counsel of god that's the job of a church to equip the saints for the work of ministry so the word the word the word that is the most important thing next you need a church um that is involved in prayer um the church needs to be a praying church this is my father's house it's a house of prayer you've turned it into a den of thieves um so so the church that you select needs to be a church that believes in and practices the Word of God and and that's prayer. And you know we say, well, we all believe in prayer, but if you're not praying, you don't really believe in prayer. So that's important. You need to find a church where you can use the gifts of the spirit that God has given you to serve that church. I said it in the first half of this program, church is not a spectator sport. We need to be participants. The way we do that is to use the gifts to serve others, not for our own benefit, but to serve others. So make sure that there's a place in your church home uh, where you can serve the body of Christ. Um, Most of the time, uh, Abby, uh, our, our walk doesn't really begin to thrive until we are committed to serving others. It also needs to be a house of worship where there needs to be a healthy fear of God, where we need to pursue personal holiness. In other words, we need to be serious about the Word of God and our response to it. And Abby, if that's your heart, I know that the Lord will lead you and direct you to that church, wherever it is, but don't compromise on those issues. It's first and foremost got to be a church of God's Word. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thanks a lot. Well, that's our last question for the day. Um, tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Um, so we'll be doing that at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at CalvarySA.com on live stream, or you can join us. We've always got room on Friday nights. And then, of course, on Sunday, uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 26, finishing the chapter. Uh, wherever you go to church, just say, Lord, show me somebody who needs to be blessed somebody that I can encourage. That'll change your whole church experience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.